What's up everyone? Mark Goddard, mixed martial arts referee. Today, hopefully, I'm going to help debunk the many myths that surround our sport. And now, this fight is four rounds. And when the action begins, our referee in charge of the octagon, Mark Goddard. Right, that's a lot to unpack. Which question? We're independent contractors, effectively. I don't just work for the UFC, I work for whoever I want. You're either hired directly by the promotion, or if there is an athletic commission or regulatory body. Most prominently, that would be in the United States. Combat sports are regulated and authorized under their state athletic commissions. Those are the people that will hire your services as a licensed official in that state. Or that could be a country as well. Sweden, for instance, Sweden have always had governmental jurisdiction and control over mixed martial arts. France, that was a big milestone last year in getting mixed martial arts regulated. The newly set up federation there, they will decide who the licensed officials are that work. I'll get promotions directly contact me all the time from all over the world. Or obviously in the case of the UFC, wherever they go globally, outside of regulated areas, that they will internally appoint and they will decide and choose which officials that they bring with them. <laughs> of course it is. We're standing watching fights, right? <laughs> I'm gonna break it down like this. A lot of people, when it comes to being an official, they think it's just something you can have a go at. But I try and explain to them, it's like any other vocation or job in the world. I can't go and spend two days in the classroom with a fireman and then Monday I'm out fucking putting out fires. It just doesn't work like that. People think that that's what you do with, with MMA. If you have somebody who's got no background or standing in any martial arts or anything, it's kind of like, look, this may take some time, but that's not to stop those people who want to do it. So for anybody who wants to be an official, there's many fundamental ways, but the, the first and foremost, if you're already training in the arts or you're experienced, then depending on where you live, the sport is regulated by the state athletic commissions. You would need to contact those people. Those are the people who deal with the licensing. They will also be able to tell you if there's any workshops or, or referee and judge training seminars coming up. That's the most fundamental thing. I say to them, look, this is great, but this is where your journey begins. You've, you've got to keep practicing. It's like, it's like anything in life. You've got to apply yourself. Just take your time. And if you're really devoted and you apply yourself, you're going you're gonna to stand out. There's no shortcuts. You can't bypass as time and experience. And again, they're both completely interlinked. You can't have one without the other. If you're not doing that and you're cutting corners, it's, it's going to find you out. To some degree, yes. I haven't met a good referee that hasn't had a background in the sport of some description. Not, not as a fighter. Let's blow that myth out the water straight away. You do not have to have been a fighter to have been a good official. Trained in at least one or more of the facets of what you're professing to look after 
100%. There's three phases of a fight. I'm standing, I'm clean, so I'm on the ground. And there's a, all the transitions in between. But I'm either standing, throwing punches, knees, kicks, elbows at you. I need to know what that looks like. I need to know how that feels. Then I'll, I'll clinch with somebody. Then you're arguing about judo, wrestling, wherever it may be. I need to know, is somebody working for this? Are they working for a more dominant position? Are they about to take them down? Are they about to throw them? Trying to recognize those subtleties. And then arguably the most intricate part of a fight is when two fighters are entangled on the floor. If they are going after a certain position, you know, you're going to be at a big disadvantage as an individual if you're not entirely sure what that person is doing. I can teach somebody the unified rules. I can talk to them verbatim about judging criteria, do training, watch videos, watch fights, etc, etc, etc. I can do all these things. What I can't give you is the practical side and even more important than that, it's the qualities as an individual that you will possess to be a good official. You can't teach somebody those, you know. You can make suggestions to them, the rest is down to them. Yeah, Google will tell you all kinds of different things, some hilarious things. Some things are wish, some things are not so. You know, for me, it's a passion getting to stand in all those amazing places and the iconic arenas all, all around the world. That's the pay for me. When I first started refereeing, you're refereeing for free. I walked out, I had disagreements with promoters back in the day on integrity issues and threw money back at them and this, that and the other. If money is your primary factor for being an MMA referee, you're not going to succeed because trust me, that's that's not the one. For the guys, the long-serving guys and the guys who are there at the top, it's so much more than the finances for us. It really is. If you have or had a direct relationship that's down to you as the individual to, to make sure you disclose that and the eventuality that something does go wrong and then it came out afterwards, it's going to put a black mark next to your name that's hard to shake off. I've grew up in this sport. There was fighters in the UFC who have fought, fighters who beat me, fighters who I've beat. I used to have my own gym. I taught fighters. There's fighters in the UFC now that I've taught, but obviously I just completely not to remove myself away from them. I will never referee those fighters and I've seen the horror stories all over the years of guys and officials where it turns out afterwards that they're training the same gym these guys are training together come on man look you can't do it you're leaving yourself open to being rightly questioned and pulled over the coals if you do one thing or one thing that calls into question your respect or your honor your integrity your honesty that'll stick with you for a lifetime if you see something that's when you're working coming up through the ranks and you see things at shows that you know are incorrect you've got to speak up because the reputation will precede you into countries and hundreds of people oh he's the guy that done this and that i've been the most hated guy in the world sometimes behind the scenes and, and in front because you know you've just you, you've got to make that call and to me that's that's everything about you as an individual That's a really common phrase that is. And people go, oh, it's the most thankless task and that. I don't care about that. Listen, you're doing your job. If I make bread rolls in a factory and I pack them beautifully every day for 25 years, is there somebody there telling me I've done a good job? No. Do I deserve somebody there telling me I've done a good job? No. Obviously, the consequences of packing bread rolls versus two guys or two girls in combat sports is different. As an official, that's just, it kind of goes with it. 
because there's this whole thing in, in MMA that, you know, as an official, thou shall not speak and don't speak to the media. I, I don't subscribe to that school of thought because obviously if I'm going to speak publicly about this sport, don't tell me how to do it. I will uphold the integrity of myself, the sport and my colleagues. If you're reckless and you're out there talking like a, an idiot or saying things that are derogatory or inflammatory, then of course you're going to suffer the consequences. But when you're out there, if you're explaining something about a decision you made, or if you're explaining something about an educational point for, for the sport, what, what's the problem? A lot of fans and stuff, they say, oh, you referees, you're never held accountable, no one ever talks to you. And then you go, okay, all right, look, here's what happened and then that. Fuck him, he just wants the camera, he's just making an excuse. It's like, what, you know, what do you want? If you disappear into the darkness and you don't say anything, there's no accountability. If you come forward and you serve yourself up, as I have done in a few occasions, and served yourself up and gone, hey, you know what? I made a mistake there. You're going to be criticised no matter what. You might have a, an angry mob outside for you. Sometimes that's even more difficult. I've had all that. If you're refereeing a, you know, a world championship fight with pay-per-view with millions and everybody watching around, then it's a different pressure and reality to deal with. But, but that's the, the, the world in which we live. The best and worst thing, right? But to me, that's down to the individual. To me, it's, that's important to me, accountability. No, I think it's fair to say it's a reality. I've been refing for 16 years and thousands upon thousands of fights. And is every one of those perfect? Absolutely not, can't be. The contentious issue is always on the referee's TKO. TKOs are like a fingerprint, no two are the same. Yeah, you'll get some generalizations, but in reality, the situation leading up to and afterwards, it's so different. They can all look the same, but that's what the masses see. When you make decisions, sometimes you're gonna be damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. The damned if you don't falls on the reactions after the fight. Because if we're dealing with a, a TKO situation, the window in my thought process in mind is, I'm looking at that three or four second immediate window before and up to the stoppage, and you step in. The world and their dog is deciding in that immediate window after. There's only one person on earth that saw what I saw, and you get that momentary look at the fighter, and it's like the adage of a picture painting a thousand words. There's nothing more truer than that. The Josh Reed, Nathaniel Wood fight, on any given day, it can be my favorite round in MMA. And people talk about the decision-making process there. It was so intense. It was the first round. The two guys are fresh. Josh absolutely clocks, hurts, staggers Nathaniel. Every single time you see Nathaniel get hurt, what does he do? He does everything I ask of them to do in the back. It was like textbook what he was doing. Every time he jumped back up, what did he do? Not only did he put his hands up, but he did as tight and defensive as he can be. It shows me two things. Cognitively, it's still working. His brain's telling him to, to be defensive. And secondly, it tells me he's still in the fight. He wants to remain in that, him himself, in that heart, he wants to remain in the fight because he's not turning away. Because when you turn away and you're in a prone position, if I can't see you, I can't read you. It makes my job inexplicably harder. Then I have to make the judgment call. But if I'm looking right at the whites of your eyes and you're 
covered and focused and looking at your opponent. I'm reading from the information you're giving me and the more vital signs I can see, the more information I'm getting and the better place I am to make that call. And then obviously you'll see there's the pivotal moment in the fight. Nathaniel's against the fence and he's winging, misses with the first one. Second one, bomb, clips Josh. You see Josh do the little funky dance. He's hurt by the follow-up. But of course, I'm not jumping in right there. I'm giving him the chance. I see him stagger, he gets hurt. And I'm thinking at that time, he's just spent himself trying to finish that fight. And then it's his reaction when I see him get pushed back up against the fence. He's taking more shots. And then I see him keel over and almost go down to the ground. Could I have let that continue to see what happened on the ground? Yes, I could have done. And believe you me, there's probably no fight that's broke my heart more in stepping in and stopping in, in, in that fight because that was one of the best, for me, one of the best rounds in MMA history. I love it. It is the best seat in the house. 2019, if you're stood in the middle in Melbourne when Israel Adesanya fought Robert Whittaker for the, for the middleweight belt at the UFC's attendance record, when I'm stood in the middle, how can I not be thankful? How can you not? say that that's one of the most wonderful things you've ever done. It is the best seat in the house. I'm looking at things that no one else sees. When I say no one, I mean no one. Obviously in a peripheral sense, commentators, audience, coaches, fans, everyone else on the planet, they're looking at the fight in their own way. I'm in a different dimension, completely and utterly or try to be at least, because it's almost like you're stood on, on a tightrope, you know, and you're precariously balanced. You're balanced in your body and your mind because when you're watching a specific fight unfold and it, and it could be complete and utter carnage in there, you've got 60,000 people screaming outside, but I can't hear any of them. I don't want to hear any of them. I don't look at them. You've got coaches, corners, commentators, the biggest personalities in the sport sat 10 feet away from you. That's completely irrelevant at that point the focus and my concentration is on the two people that are right in front of me. That's what they deserve. <laughs>